Hey guys, Cass here. So I'm going to talk about a personal favorite of mine today, something that I've been obsessed with since, you know, the great old age of about 10 or 11. Um, in fact, I loved this character so much that I, in fact, painted a mural of him above my bed at around 15 years old. That's right, the 1984 American slasher film by possibly, in my opinion, the mastermind of horror, Wes Craven. That's right, folks, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so this was the first film to start, in my opinion, a cultural phenomenon. Um, I mean, Freddy Krueger, what, what else is there to say? That uh, that character goes back so long and, in fact, to this day, probably still haunts the memories and the dreams of several people. Um, uh, basically, this film in particular, the plot revolves around several teens who, you know, at night they're being stalked and killed in their dreams. Now, no one quite believes this. You know, it, it's it's quite a struggle for the teens to try and relay this information to the adult world. Um, you know, to the adults, this doesn't make sense. This isn't real. Um, you know, and it's it's just a figment of their imagination. And it's there's obviously something else going on. <clears throat> But uh, basically, they're being killed in their dreams, and then that, of course, relates over to uh, to reality. Um, now, we uh, the teens, of course, have no idea where this started, where the phenomenon came from. Now, uh, and as the film progresses and the plot develops, that's you know all of our secrets come out come out towards the end, and uh, and we're basically given you know why does Freddy exist? What is he doing? And, and why is he here? So uh, the film itself started with a budget of about 1.8 million, and in the first opening weekend in the U.S., grossed about 25 million. So not a bad payout. Um, just as I was saying, this is possibly one of the most significant films in the horror genre. Um, I mean, it would span not only, you know, six, seven more movies. Uh, it would span a TV series, a crossover with Friday the 13th, video games, and various imitations. In fact, I can think of an episode of The Simpsons involving groundskeeper Willie, uh, which is very similar to our to our favorite villain. And, uh, and sadly, something I don't really like to discuss, but the 2010 remake, um, which was just just pitiful um, attempt at uh, trying to to recreate this film. Um, But I get why they wanted to. It was huge. Why not try to redo it? But it just, it wasn't done right. So um, this, you know, the 1984 version, it's definitely credited with carrying on many of the classic horror movie tropes that, um, well, personally, I've come to love some of these others. You know, they don't agree, but uh, essentially, you know, we're, we're looking at the morality around sexual uh, promiscuity, promiscuity. So very similar to Friday the Thirteenth. You know, teenagers, you have sex and you die essentially. Uh, so this this is a reoccurring theme, especially with Tina early on. Now, um, the film for the audience, the struggle to define the distinction between dreams and reality. You know, it constantly becomes our battle in the film. Uh, you know, what are we watching? Is this real? Or is this, you know, one of the dreams for the teens? You're constantly left guessing. And that's possibly one of the reasons why I love this film so much. Uh, it truly has those, the twist element. So we start with Tina. Um, she's being stalked by a man that she can't identify, wearing a hat, a dirty sweater, and a razor glove. Now, she always appears to be in the boiler room. And our film starts with her explaining this to her friends, Nancy and Glenn. <clears throat> 
they're both kind of a little skeptical of Tina at the moment. Um, and it's not till later on when Tina has them over and her boyfriend Rod comes for a visit that Freddie actually attacks. Of course, uh, Nancy and Glenn, Nancy being the daughter of the police officer, our main lieutenant in chief, she believes Rod is, is the culprit and, uh, and then they go after him. Now, now that Tina's out of the picture, Freddie seems to have a new target and uh, has definitely laid his eyes on Nancy, who starts having dreams and is appearing in the same boiler room as Tina. It's not until she receives a burn on her arm that she starts to, to realize that there's something going on between the dream world and uh, reality. And during one of her, her dreams, she sees Freddie ready to go after Rod and runs to the police station to try and defend him. And sadly, arrives a little too late. Um, and, you know, we basically see her her story as she tries to overcome Freddie alongside her friend uh, Glenn, alongside dealing with her mom and her father. Now, Marge, her mother, is definitely keeping a secret. It's not till later in the film that this comes out, that the parents were essentially serving their own case of vigilante justice when the courts let Freddie get off on a technicality as a child murderer. And uh, basically, the film revolves around Freddie getting his revenge, uh, you know, against the parents and the kids that he uh, that he so he, he sought it after in life. Now, um, just uh, the ending itself. Apparently, in this film, I don't want to give too much away, but Wes didn't originally want that ending. It was, in fact, New Line Cinema that told him to change it. They wanted a more of a twist ending, which I guess makes sense, given the fact that they did the twist ending would allow for them to, you know create further films um and i guess that's something that stands true today with any horror movie uh, character they always do like to set it up just in case the budget does well so that they can definitely go on to the next one <clears throat> now uh, freddie's power is derived from fear and we see this come out towards the end just a neat fact for those of you who haven't seen it and and don't quite understand what's going on. You know, um, getting into the cast, we have Heather Wang in camp playing Nancy Thompson. Truly a no-name at the time, um, but that's what Wes wanted. In fact, she beat out um, some actor actresses like Debbie Moore. Robert Ungland, again, wasn't the first choice, which I found pretty surprising, because to me, Robert Ungland is Freddy Krueger. He imbibes everything that is Freddy. I just I can't imagine anybody else playing him. Um, but during the um, the audition, he was one of the few that were actually willing to take the character, this dark realm. That um, basically that was Wes's number one complaint, that no one was willing to go as dark as they needed to, and essentially. Robert did that, so, you know, the film became his, and he, he took Freddy to a whole other place. Now, uh, we see Johnny Depp in his um, in his launching role. This is what gave him his career, and it was actually one of Wes's daughters that picked him out of a row of headshots. It wasn't his first choice. Um, he had a few others in mind. Charlie Sheen, but he wanted too much money. Nicolas Cage, but his daughters were the ones that picked him, saying he was the most attractive. Definitely wasn't Wes's choice, just because it was just this giddy kind of gross guy with nicotine stains on his fingers uh tina was played by amanda Weese. we have um nick Corey who played rod who i didn't know but actually uh, during the time was sniffing heroin in the bathroom during some of the sets and scenes so um one scene in the jail cell where he's all sweaty and crying heather actually thought he was giving the performance of a lifetime but in fact it's just him going through uh, heroin withdrawals. Uh, we see uh, Lieutenant Don Don Thompson, uh, played by John Saxon, uh, definitely uh, a uh, an actor who was big at the time and has done this several times. So 
brings some experience to the role and, and to the character. And then we have Marge uh, Thompson, played by Renee Blackie. Now we have the rest as a list of secondary characters, um, you know, who just help further the plot, like Glenn's parents, some of the teachers, and so on. Um, but uh, these the characters mentioned before are essentially what, what makes the film. Now, uh, the story itself, Wes came up with the idea after a few different things. It was derived um, from three men uh, coming to America from South Asia. They're escaping war and possibly some of the worst things I've ever seen. But they were suffering from disturbing nightmares. And uh, with these nightmares, had decided that they refused to sleep. In fact, some of them died soon after they went to sleep. Um, they Basically, the doctors would identify this as Asian death syndrome and oddly enough it would only attack men between the ages of 19 or men and women between the ages of 19 and 57 so just just very unique articles um, there's only three or four of written but they seem to get uh, in Wes's way uh, with further reading and further listening to like this on Dreamweaver by Gary Wright 1970s this would seal the story for Wes um, some say Freddie and Nightmare on Elm Street was derived from a student film in 68, but I definitely think between the song Dreamweaver and, and the above-mentioned story that he, essentially, he, you know, this created Freddie for him. Now, Freddie, Freddie was derived over a few years. Uh, the first, starting when he was a kid, uh, essentially he saw this elderly man walking from his bedroom window, and he stopped down on the street and looked up west of the window wearing the fedora uh, just something about the light in that moment is what sealed it for Wes and he never could shake that image so that image itself would serve as Freddie's sort of template um, now he wanted he wanted him to be a, a a child molester but due to um, a very publicized case at the time decided to switch it over to uh, a child murderer instead just to avoid you know more publication and publicizing this molestation case at the time. Now, and then the name, Fred Krueger, uh, it was all derived from a high school bully who was picking on Wes. And in fact, we see this name pop up on a few different of Wes's characters, uh, an example of which is um, The Last House on the Left. They call uh, the leader Krug. Uh, I don't know if anyone caught on to that. Now, um, the sweater, the infamous sweater, that red and green, it came from a couple different things uh, derived from DC Comics character Plastic Man, um, which if you look at the old pictures, really clashing red and red and green colors. And then along the way, Wes, Wes had, ridden, had read that um, red and green colors were to the human retina are such a strain. Now, um, for Freddy's burnt skin, every killer at the time had a mask, starting all the way back to a sun... Um, a Sunset in Tucson, or I can't remember the name of the film, but going into an Friday the 13th, all these films, their killer wore a mask. He knew he wanted a mask. He wanted something that didn't look human. But at the same time, he wanted his killer still able to call out his victim, tease, taunt. So essentially, they would come up with the burned skin. So it would still look natural, but still be different. And then essentially, the knife. Every killer had a knife, a sword. They were swinging one single item. Wes wanted something different, so he thought of the steak knives on a glove. And um, essentially his prop guy was like, we can do this, and would create two different gloves, one a dull one used just for some of the, the regular scenes, and then one that was used for cutting. 
Now, uh, New Line Cinema, I didn't know this. They were the ones, of course, to give the money to back and uh, produce uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. But they actually consider themselves the house that Freddie built. Because if it wasn't for Nightmare on Elm Street, they definitely wouldn't have become the studio we we know and love today. Uh, Essentially, at the time before that, they were very independent. Now, uh, something I didn't know was that... um, Wes caught on in an Evil Dead that there's a poster for The Hills Have Eyes, another Wes Craven film. He felt so honored that he decided that during one of the scenes when Nancy is lying uh, in bed that she'd be watching Evil Dead. Uh, Essentially, Tom, um, Tom Savini would see this and that would just make his day. So in Evil Dead 2, if you look very closely in the cabin, you will see Freddy's glove, which I thought was, was really, really neat. Um... Some of the stunts, like just some of the stunts and, and the special effects makeup they had to do, like, uh, for instance, Johnny's room. I don't want to give too much away, but they filmed that final scene upside down, uh, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, or I should say Johnny's room. Glenn's room uh, is the one that they filmed upside down. Uh, and um, the melting stairs in a later scene that's just pancake batter. Kind of cool. I just, I don't know, as a special effects person i find it very interesting that it's just these household items that they find and use and it works so much better than uh, than computer generated um uh scenes and so forth just seems more real now uh finally just wanted to talk a little bit about the themes um some people talk about the symbolic of the the sim the symbolism about the traumatic experience of adolescence you know we we talk about social anxiety relationships sexuality all things teens are discovering and having to deal with and then we see these these themes pop up alongside a serial killer or some sort of murderer that they must face <clears throat> and uh the sexuality we see is for instance in this film like tina's death um I don't want to give away too, too much, but, you know, you can definitely almost get sort of a rape theme from there. Um, as well as Nancy when she's napping in the bathtub and Freddie's glove comes up between her legs. Now, um, they're just very subtle, but, you know, for those of us, just with a little bit more of a Freudian, uh, Freudian thought p- pattern can definitely uh, make that out. And another interesting theme about the film was just talking about the parents, and I never really quite looked at them that way. I mean, they're more damaged than the kids are. You know, we see them drinking we see them using drugs whatever they can to numb the pain coming from the death of freddie and this and what they're they're essentially hiding from their kids so um it just just neat going a little bit further into something that i just you know always thought of more of a campy 80s classic horror movie but um for those of you i really hope there's a very few of you who haven't seen this film go check it out um freddie essentially became our first serial killer to actually taunt and almost play with his food, for lack of a better word. Before that, they didn't really talk, or they just grunted and ran, such as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th. You know, we never really actually got to hear them. And for the first time ever, you hear your serial killer call out your name uh, and and essentially manipulate things to his advantage. Um, it really, really stays with you. Uh, it just is truly haunting. Wes Craven, I mean, may the man rest in peace. He's unbelievably brilliant and came up with possibly some of the best ideas in the horror movie industry. Just this film itself, um, you know, it, it's to this day, people know who Freddy Krueger is. 
Um, and I mean, he's, he's a cult classic. People go far and wide to see Robert Unglund, um, from tattoos to the, just the, the at-home accessories you can get. I know I definitely have my own fair collection of Freddy Krueger accessories. But um, anyways, just wanted to quickly touch base on one of my favorite Wes Craven films. Um, hope you guys can check it out if you haven't. Uh, and if you have, then you know what? Definitely worth re- re-watching with the new, uh, the new information I've given you today. And uh, other than that, guys, I hope uh, all is well. I hope you guys are enjoying my podcast. If you have any ideas for your ne- the next film you want me to talk about, please mention it in the comments um, on iTunes. I'm happy to hear it. Or check me out on uh, Twitter and or uh, Instagram. Thanks again, guys. Till next week.